Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. For more than five years, Deep State Radio has been on top of all of the key foreign policy and national security stories impacting the world. We're grateful to our members who make all of this possible and hope that you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members get access to exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to participate in discussions via our member Slack community, our weekly member briefings, and our DSR Daily Brief newsletter delivered to your inbox each evening. Members also receive all of our content via private member feed that you can add to your favorite podcast app. And we're not stopping there, as we'll soon be announcing additional programming and content partnerships to make membership an absolute must-have. To become a member, visit bit.ly slash dsrmember and enter code MAY2022 at checkout to gain access to all of our exclusive benefits for just $5 per month. Thank you for your support. Nine. Twelve, ten, twenty-eight, two, twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to a special edition of our podcast. As you know, every couple of weeks when a new book comes out that we think all of you should read, we sit down with the author and talk to them. This week, we get to talk to Norm Eisen, who's a senior fellow in governance studies at the Brookings Institution. He most recently served as special counsel to the House Judiciary Committee from 2019 to 2020, including for the impeachment and trial of President Trump. You know him from the media, you know him from visits here. And he has a new book called Overcoming Trumpery, How to Restore Ethics, the Rule of Law and Democracy. Hi, Norm. How are you? Great to be with you back on Deep State Radio and for the special book edition. Thank you for having me back, David. Thank you, Norm, and thank you for writing this book. The subject could not be more important, the idea of restoring ethics, the rule of law, and especially democracy. It seems like a beautiful dream, doesn't it? And Well, it does, and I've noticed in the past couple of weeks as you've been talking about your book, Events have been conspiring to help sell it. Justice Alito has done so. The, you know, uh, you know, the grand jury that was convened in Atlanta underscores some of the points that you've made. It couldn't be more timely. Let me begin with the framing. You talk about the seven deadly sins of Trumpery. Would you like to walk us through that? This book started out. As Jen Rubin explained in her very nice column about the book, it started out as a report, a Brookings report, right after the Trump administration ended on the different ways that Trump and those around him had had tested 
the post-Watergate structure of ethics, rule of law, and really the way we run our democracy through their behavior over four years in office. And uh, we released the report on fixes. And then we got a very warm response that I thought, why not take that report and build it out and do a real deep dive on this phenomenon, which in the book I call Trumpery. What were the characteristics of Trump's style of governance? What worked in his perverse way and what didn't? Was it really as ad hoc as it seems? Or was there some system to it? When you look, for example, at the way Trump was able to defeat every effort to hold him accountable when he was in office, whether it was the Mueller grand jury, whether uh, it was the first impeachment, the second impeachment, he just had such an effective run. I mean, is that an accident? Or was there some deeper method to his madness? And lo and behold, First time anybody's done this. When we studied him as a uh, governance, twisted governance leader, we learned that there were seven characteristics, seven things that he and his administration did again and again, that there was actually a corrupt philosophy of governance that they were organized around. And that is what we call trumpery and its seven deadly sins. Can you enumerate the seven? The foundational sin of trumpery, it came first in sequence when he declared, even before he took office, that he was going to keep all of his foreign emoluments. The foundational sin of trumpery is ethical transgression. You know, you never would have thought you'd had to regulate a president. A president would say emoluments being things of value from foreign governments or foreign entities, you never would have thought you'd have to say to that a president would not be able to take these benefits from a foreign government. But lo and behold, Donald Trump did. That was a violation. And I litigated it for years and years. You know, we made progress until the litigation was mooted out, David, by Trump leaving office. So that was the first one. Then the next one, we saw this with Mueller, assault on the rule of law. Another very important thing came out right from the beginning, lying and disinformation, 30,000 lies, according to the Washington Post. The shamelessness of it, he felt no embarrassment, piling the misconduct on top of misconduct. When you saw the way, for example, he openly genuflected to Putin in Helsinki. It was so revolting. Even members of his own government were alarmed. All of this is wrapped in the pursuit of his personal and political interests, not the public interest. You probably see that most clearly in the Ukraine impeachment, where he used Ukraine to try to extort. He really set a model for Vladimir Putin. He used Ukraine for his own selfish purposes denying them military aid, $300 million about, to get dirt on his opponent. All of these things I list drove division crazy in the United States, fissures in the body politic. And Trump thrived on that, feeding his base, exacerbating division. And then it came to a grand crescendo 
with the attack on democracy itself, the most outrageous example is the failed coup. So that is the story of the Trump administration. It is the story of Trumpery. Unfortunately, it's not a story that has ended. And as we write in the book, Overcoming Trumpery, not only may Trump seek to return, if he's alive, he's surely going to run for president, but across the country in Senate races, Congress, governor, down ballot races, dozens of his acolytes are running for office. And they're doing all these seven things. And book launch day, I published on CNN Opinion an analysis of the Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker campaigns in Pennsylvania and Georgia, respectively. They're doing all the same things they've learned. And that may be a greater danger than next generation of Trumpery, a greater danger than Trump himself. One of the things that sets the far right apart from the left to some degree, and others better than I have, have written about this and observed it, is that they, they have an ability to institutionalize their impulses. And with, in the case of Trumpery, you don't just have imitators out there and DeSantis falls into that camp and, and Greg Abbott and so forth. But the principles of the Republican Party, and I use the word principles in air quotes, seem to be founded around these seven Trumpian sins that you enumerate. They lie. They seek to quash the rule of law. They um, sidestep ethics reforms, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think it's notable that the book is not about Trump. This is not TDS happening here. It's, it's about a pattern that's transforming American politics. Would you agree with that? I do. You know, I get that, totally get that the people who say it's Trump derangement syndrome, Politico playbook was kind enough to uh, feature the book uh, in, the, in the morning playbook. And they wrote, Norm Eisen has a new book out about what else? Trumpery. Because, uh, you know, the, the holding Trump accountable is the great white whale of those in both parties, by the way. I find that this is by no means a uniquely liberal phenomenon. Some of the most vehement opponents of Trumpery can be found among conservatives who are appalled at his bastardization of the conservative movement. You know, we're, we're so frustrated. I mean, look, just this week, there's news of he's conditionally gotten off the hook on these contempt payments in New York. Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, had proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and he let him go. And so people look at the two f impeachments they look at the Mueller investigation and so much more. I say, oh, the guy always skates. So there, but this is a serious danger, and we just have to find ways to sound the alarm because Trumpery, DeSantis is interesting. He's a more, I fought with my editor about including DeSantis on the list because DeSantis is a somewhat more ambivalent, ambiguous character. Sometimes he's a practitioner of Trumpery's. I think he's a practitioner of Trumpery's, sometimes not. Um, Josh Hawley's another one who's a great danger. And uh, then these 
these candidates around the country. So, uh, you know, it's a real threat and we got to sound the alarm. It is not Trump derangement syndrome. Absolutely not. It's easy to get caught up in the focus here. I don't think it's Trump centric. I think it's your subtitle that's the central focus, restoring ethics, the rule of law and democracy. And so when you look at threats or abuses of ethics and abuses of the rule of law and threats to democracy, then you draw different conclusions. Justice Alito seems to fall into this category, you know, because in, in and as you point out in, a, in something that you've written, for example, with regard to the rule of law, with regard to stare decisis, with regard to the principles on which the court once operated, doesn't seem to matter to him anymore. Telling the truth, you telling the truth about history doesn't seem to matter to him anymore. This court, where whether it has to do with voting rights or the ethics of our democratic system, doesn't seem to matter anymore, whether it's Citizens United or Shelby County. So, you know, it's not just gross politicians. You know, it's all through the system that that is supporting it, right? Yeah, the Alito thing is particularly striking to me, David. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I wrote that the Alitos, the leaked Alito opinion, overturning stare decisis, uh, loyalty to the, the law of the case, the decisions that the Supreme Court has made, like Roe, that had been in place for almost a half a century, When Alito throws that out the window, he's really throwing the stability and the continuity of the rule of law out with the abortion protections. And he's substituting. We went through the list of the seven deadly sins of trumpery. I wrote for Slate explaining that the Alito draft opinion hits them all and above all, it's probably the most besetting sin of trumpery is this assault on the rule of law and therefore on democracy itself. So the corruption of trumpery runs deep and it's reached the, the Supreme Court, which had until now withheld. Yeah, although now it seems like that seems to be the institutional foundation of the right as they approach different issues and that it will not stop simply with this Mississippi abortion decision, but it may, it may continue on. I anticipate that it will, but there's hope. I mean, that can be a gloomy prospect, but I think there's hope because the bipartisan coalition came together to object to this in 2020. And I think there's still enough integrity. The battle has moved to the states. Really, trumpery is on the ballot. And, um, I don't think the American people are going to go for it. So I am hopeful that there'll be Trump will take some losses in 2022, and that will set us up for a battle royale over the future of our country in 2024. I believe the 2020 election was a referendum, Trumpery or democracy, and the American people chose democracy. I'm using Trumpery there, as I say in the book, with my brilliant co-authors, I should add. It's a new form, uniquely American-flavored one of 
autocracy, a kind of autocracy we see elsewhere around the world. So I think 2020 was a referendum and autocracy lost, trumpery lost. I'm hopeful. I think 22 is going to have a mixed record. We saw that this week. For example, on the same night, the Trump-backed candidate, the Trumpery ticket lost in Nebraska primary, successful in a West Virginia primary. So I think we're going to see some mixed results, but I hope they'll predominate in favor of democracy in 22. And that, of course, will set us up to have the battle royale for the future of our soul as a nation in 2024. I've I've seen some columns recently written that, you know, suggest that some of the early guesses at what's going to happen in November of this year, uh, in terms of big Republican sweeps and so forth, may be wrong. But another possibility is that the system you you describe the values you describe with regard to ethics, the rule of law, and democracy could take root in a large number of U.S. states and could change the way those states operate vis-a-vis other states and the country. And you could end up with a kind of a civil divide, a civil cold war, if you will. And it seems to me we may be heading there regardless of the outcomes in November of this year and of 2024. What do you think of that threat? I think it's very profound. As you know, I'm the co-chair, bipartisan co-chair, I should add, of the States United Democracy Center, which I co-founded with former GOP governor and Bush administration cabinet member, Christy Todd Whitman. And uh, the objective of this nonpartisan C3, C4 organization that we we co-chair is to work together irrespective of party with any state official who is pro-democracy. We work with wonderful leaders across the country who are doing that. And uh, we're very proud to help support the battle for the survival of American democracy in the states and the localities. Don't neglect the localities. I believe, and we've talked about this on our podcast from time to time, but I believe the central issue of our time is the battle within the United States about the future of democracy and whether we will take the steps necessary to preserve it or whether we will enshrine through bad court decisions, bad congressional decisions, bad will on the part of leaders, minority rule in the United States for some extended period of time. And this is a struggle, and it's unclear, amazingly to me, it's unclear how this struggle is going to be resolved. But to some extent, Trump himself is the least important part of that. It's not about one individual, no matter how odious or corrupt. It's about the appeal to a segment of our society of an approach that seeks to undermine democracy and the rule of law and cast aside ethics to serve its own narrow interests. That seems more pernicious. 
Trump is a symptom, not the disease. What do you say? He's both the symptom and the disease. Again, applying the Trumpery model, while it preexisted him, he makes Machiavelli look like Gandhi, David. This seven-part... Well, um, Mach- Machiavelli always got a bad rap. You uh, know, Ma- this... Machiavelli was just kind of a realist advising a prince in a tough time. But <laughs> Well, Trump is a surrealist in that case, because when you look at, his, at Trumpery, it's like a hallucination of normal governance, a sick one. And uh, and so he he catalyzed these trends. He gave us the philosophy. And if he's alive, he's running again. So you can't just and he's inspiring and driving forward these figures. So he's he is more than a symptom. But at the same time, you are correct. An equal or greater danger, let's say, of trumpery comes from his heirs, from the Dr. Oz's, the Herschel Walker's, the uh, Jim Jordan's, and then normal people. You know, I used to get along very well with Kevin McCarthy. He came to Prague when I was ambassador, and we did days of programming together. He was a conservative. I was a liberal. Politics ended at the water's edge. We had far more in common in international relations than separated us. You know he doesn't believe it because we have the tapes of what he truly feels, but he's forced to kiss the ring of trumpery. And so that kind of corruption as well, the enablers are as bad as the imitators. So you're right, equal or greater danger. I'll agree with you that far. I recall it from the Gingriches and the delays and McConnell and the objectives of the Kochs and the Federalist Society and so forth. And so it's a bigger thing and it's been around for a longer time, in my, in my view. Certainly, I don't want to minimize the threat posed by Trump or the kind of movement that he has catalyzed there. In the last couple of minutes, I'd, I'd like to try to end on a slightly more upbeat note. You do point out that Trump lost in 2020. In fact, he lost the popular vote twice. And so the American people have rejected this. Unfortunately, as you also point out, a lot of the checks that were supposed to work didn't. Even the impeachment process, which you are a part of, was revealed to have a big gap in it, in, in, it, in its reasoning. If the Senate is part of the same party as the president and doesn't wish to hold him accountable, he doesn't get held accountable. We've seen how DOJ can undermine or gut otherwise seemingly goodwill efforts like the the Mueller effort. And we've seen it. We've seen no evidence that Mueller's multiple counts of obstruction are, have been picked up either by the Trump DOJ or by the Biden DOJ. We've seen Bragg in New York drop the case. But I believe I saw, I, I seem to recall seeing you have written about the Georgia case where there does seem to be some traction. And, and, and if you could just give us a couple of examples or just that one example on which we can have some hope that some of the checks in our system are working to stop this. Absolutely. I think that the antidote to trumpery, the vehicles for overcoming trumpery, 
include the 1-6 committee getting to the truth of the matter, I hope providing criminal referrals, federal or state, prosecution by the Department of Justice of Donald Trump and the other ringleaders of the attempted coup in 2020 and into 2021, and a state prosecution, including by the Fulton County DA, Fonnie Willis, in Georgia, in Atlanta. The reason, and, and I think it's quite likely that there will be a prosecution in Georgia, and the 1-6 committee will help set that up. We'll see what DOJ does. There is an adequate basis, I believe, for DOJ to charge Trump and some of the ringleaders. But it, we'll need to see how the January 6th committee hearings go, what they decide to do about a referral or not. Take the Georgia case. That could be the best inoculation for overcoming Trumpery because if you send the message to all these imitators that there are consequences for an attempted coup, that will cause them, instead of wearing the mantle of Trumpery, to cast it off. They'll see the danger. And if you target Trump and those around him, the, the nucleus of the prior coup will be forced to pay a price and won't be able to devote all their energies to the next coup. And finally, Trump himself might find it a little tough to rule, to run or rule from the pokey. So for all those reasons, I think one of, and I wrote in the New York Times about the Georgia case as the leading vehicle for overcoming trumpery. I think that case is likely to be charged. I have a long Brookings report explaining why there's a substantial risk of prosecution for Trump. And every new revelation only advances that case further. So I'm hopeful that overcoming trumpery will not just be the title of a book, but it will turn out to be a prediction about uh, where the United States is headed. And just as we were successful in 2020, that uh, we will once again succeed in overcoming trumpery in 22 and in 24 and beyond. That is exactly the kind of upbeat conclusion that we needed here. To be honest, overcoming trumpery, how to restore ethics, the rule of law and the democracy, which Norm has uh, edited and led this effort with a bunch of great other authors is a book to read because it is, a, it is prescriptive. It offers a path to address these things. I think people should go out and read it, and I'm encouraging everybody who listens to go out and get the book. We will, when we put up the summary on the website of this episode, I, I also would like to include with it Jen Rubin's piece in the Washington Post. We'll put your New York Times piece about Georgia, the Slate piece, the CNN piece, that you used to kick this off, a couple of others. I think it's important to people to see that, and we'll include a link there uh, where people can get the book. It's something I was just talking to my team about that we'd like to do more going forward, and we're going to kick it off here with this book, again, Overcoming Trumpery, How to Restore Ethics, the Rule of Law, and Democracy. Thank you, Norm. Hope you'll come back soon. Hope we can talk about some successes in this effort going forward. And for everybody else, go get the book, read the book, and we'll keep covering this going forward. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Grant Haver, and I wanted to introduce you to the newest podcast on the DSR Network, Next in Foreign Policy. 
Every other week, Zoe Weinberg and I talk with new and emerging foreign policy experts about the issues of today and tomorrow. We've covered everything from the war in Ukraine to the impact of pop culture on policy. So if you want to better understand the people and ideas that will be shaping the debate in Washington and around the world for years to come, check us out wherever you find your podcasts.